Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Last time we had covered, uh, the last couple of times we had, we had covered through about verse 15. And we're going to come back and cover 16 through 23 next time. But I wanted to, to touch on a certain topic today. And that's particularly picked up in verse 24. So, 1 Samuel 14, 24. Now the men of Israel were hard-pressed on that day, for Saul had put the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and until I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of them tasted food. All of the people of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, there was a flow of honey, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard when his father put the people under the oath, Therefore he put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and he dipped it in the honeycomb, and he put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly put the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. And Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found, for now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. They struck among the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ahilan, and the people were very weary, and the people rushed greedily upon the spoil, and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. And then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have acted treacherously. Roll a great stone to me this this day. So Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Each one of you bring me his ox and his sheep and slaughter it here and eat it. And do not sin against the Lord by eating it with the blood. So the people that night brought each one his ox and and each one with him slaughtered it there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was his first altar which he built to the Lord. Okay, so... Jonathan, last time we had covered it, he had gone and he had attacked the garrison and there was this huge uh, earthquake that then followed and all the the Philistines, remember, they were people without number. They had 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people without number had come to attack uh, uh, the Israelites. But an earthquake started and God was apparently giving this overwhelming victory to Israel. And Saul, in his zeal, makes an edict, and he says, whoever eats food this day, he's cursed. Don't anyone eat food so that I can avenge myself on my enemy. And so in his zeal, he made some edict, some decree that had nothing to do with Scripture, and he put it on the people. And as a result of this, now Jonathan, remember, this great victory was coming because of Jonathan's attack. Jonathan wasn't there when, he had made, when his father had made this decree, so he didn't hear it. They go, and, and, and it says that, that they were chasing the Philistines from Michmash to Ahihan. That's 18 to 20 miles. So, Jonathan had already been involved in quite an attack, where he had, he had defeated a garrison of 20 men. And now they were defeating others. And so the people were at war. They had traveled 20 miles unable to eat anything because of this decree of the king. And Jonathan didn't know it, so they find honey in the woods. And so the bees at that just happened at that particular time. The honey was so great, it was just dripping out of the trees. 
And so Jonathan ate some and, and the people said, oh, you know, your father put a curse on people if they eat. And he says, I wonder why my father did this. See how my eyes have brightened. I mean, here was all this energy for us. And so what I want to do is I want to look at, at uh, uh, legalism and what that can do to people. Now, the result of it here is it took them from violating this, this oath that was made by Saul, which was totally unscriptural, and it caused them to sin against the Lord so that the next day, so when that day had passed, they were so hungry they rushed upon the spoil, in other words, the oxen and the sheep uh, uh, that the, the uh, Philistine army had left behind in their fleeing, and they rushed upon them and they killed these animals and they ate them without first draining the blood, which was, an, was a commandment for, for Israel to do. So in Leviticus chapter 3, verse 17, Leviticus 17, verse 10 through 14, and Leviticus 19, verse 26, it says three times in the book of Leviticus that the animals were supposed to be killed and have their blood drained before they were to eat. So now what's happening is it's causing them to violate the law of Moses because of this silly oath that was put forth by King Saul. So what I want to do is, is look at this concept of legalism and what it does. Uh, legalism is expecting extra-biblical rules from another. It's fine for yourself to put all sorts of rules upon yourself that have nothing to do with Scripture. If that's what you want to do, you can live your life that way. But when we start taking those rules that are not scriptural and putting them upon ourselves, that's legalism and that's where bondage comes in and we're going to look at that today. So there are 613 commandments in the law of Moses. We are under none of those laws. Zero. Some Christians say we're under a certain portion of them. Others we're not under. No, you're not under any of them. Because the Bible says if, you're, if you violate any one of the law of Moses, you're in violation of them all. So it's not like you can pick and choose. We'll be under the Ten Commandments, uh, but nothing else. No, the Ten Commandments are all embodied in New Testament commandments. So in the New Testament, there's about 150 commandments. It's called the law, it, it, it's, it's called the, 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 um, the words of the Lord or the law of Christ. It's about 150 and that is able to keep us really quite busy. Nine of the Ten Commandments, nine of the Ten of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are embodied in New Testament commandments. There is only one that is not there, and that's the Sabbath day. We, we are not under obligation to keep the Sabbath day rest. And you say, well, Sunday is my Sabbath day. It can't be. Sabbath day was always the seventh day. Always has been, always will be. Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. If you say you're under the Ten Commandments, you must... must must keep the Sabbath, and you cannot work from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And you can't substitute the day and say, well, I'll do that on Sundays. You can't. You can't. That is not your choice. The commandments are the commandments. And the reason we don't have to observe that is we are not under Old Testament commandments. Any of the laws of Moses, we are not under them. We are under the laws of Christ, which are told to us in the epistles in the New Testament. But let's see what the New Testament says about the, these whole thing, this whole thing of legalism. And let me give you a list of this. And, and those of you who are older among, among us, those of us who are older, will, will recognize more of these. So, for example, it used to be really bad if a Christian played cards. 
You know, Baptists certainly wouldn't be playing cards. Now you can go to Second Baptist Church bookstore and buy a deck of cards that says Second Baptist on the back. <laughs> All right, so has God changed? No, God doesn't change. So it used to be really bad if you played cards. It used to be really bad if you went bowling. It was called pins. I don't know if you remember that. There was a time if you went bowling, it was really bad. You think, bowling? This is... We have... Church youth group goes to bowling. Exactly. Times change. This was, these were legalisms that were put in. I'll give you another one that gives believers a lot of trouble, and that's dancing. There is no, no New Testament prohibition on dancing, but still, there are many believers today that have a terrible time with it. So they shouldn't dance. But for me to put something upon you that I feel is, 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 is what I want to do, for me to put it upon you becomes legalism. I'll, I'll give you uh, another one. Drinking. Drinking alcohol. There is no prohibition upon drinking alcohol in the Scripture. Certainly not in the Old Testament. In Psalm 104, verse 15, it talks about, in fact, you know, how wine can make a man feel good. But we, there is a prohibition in the New Testament upon being drunk. Very specifically, it says that we should not be drunk with wine. Now, I do not drink, but I have never put that upon you and I never will, because there is no New Testament prohibition on drinking. So, so I don't drink wine, and the reason I don't is not because of any religious thing. It's because my wife grew up in a country where they don't drink. And then when we got engaged, I saw that if I, I, drinking was never a big thing to me, but if I did take a drink, if somebody handed me a beer or handed me a glass of wine, I could see how it bothered her. So I stopped because it was no big deal to me. So in deference to my wife, I stopped to be sensitive to my own wife. But I don't put that upon you. Now, you certainly want to be careful with it. You don't want to be drunk with it. But you see, this is another thing that... What happens, in fact, is people will go to the extent of changing Scripture. So you see what happened with, in Saul's day. He made a decree. His decree caused people to violate the law of Moses. They were so hungry by the next day. If they had had some honey and able to eat a little bit while they were fighting this battle and moving along, they wouldn't have been so ravenous of killing the animals and eating them with the blood. So what happens is people will do it this way. They will say, wine is wrong. Okay? So when you classify it as that, then they will say, well, Jesus would never do anything wrong. So Jesus must have, uh, have consumed grape juice and not wine. So now wine is bad. And they will then change the scripture. They will change the scripture that Jesus converted the water into the fruit of the vine, which is grape juice, they will say. No. There is in Hebrew and in Greek a very acceptable word for grape juice and a very acceptable word for wine, and it is wine. It is not grape juice. And so what happens is when you come with a wrong parameter and you say wine is wrong, you end up having to change now the scriptures. You see, that's like their violation of the law of Moses because of some decree. So let's look at, at, at this. And it used to be movies. They would say cinema. You know, don't go to the cinema. Cinema is bad. Well, why is cinema bad? Well, because people who go to the cinema do bad things in the back row. Okay. No, no, this was the justification, if you ask why. Because they'll, they'll see the same movie at home, but you don't go to the cinema. In fact, my, my children tease my father-in-law because, you know, in his day it was you don't go to the cinema. 
And so they were they will tease them. They will say, did you ever go to the cinema? <laughs> but uh, do you remember that? That's the way you were raised. You don't go to the cinema. If you're good Christians, don't go to cinema. Well, what is it that's bad? Well, bad, people do bad things on the back row of the cinema. Well, people do bad things in cars, so we shouldn't use cars. Bank robbers use cars as getaway cars, so we shouldn't use cars. The logic just doesn't follow. And uh, uh, dice. You know, so what would happen? This is what would happen. This, I know, sounds odd to you, but Christians would have these board games... But instead of having dice, they would have a spinner. Because dice are bad. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? You just don't touch dice because they're bad. So God hasn't changed. You, you know, it's a whole, they don't know what we're talking about. They, they have no idea. But this is the way it used to be. In fact, glasses used to be bad. Yes. Glasses were a lack of faith. There were groups where if you wore glasses, you should trust God to heal your eyes. If you wear glasses, it is a lack of faith. I know a woman who flushed, this is her, her contact lenses down the toilet, and this is when you had hard contact lenses that were very expensive because she felt that she was showing a lack of faith. And her eyes didn't get any better. And, you know, after a few months, she went out and got another pair of contact lenses. All right, so let's look at Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Let's, let's see what the epistles tell us we ought to be doing. Romans chapter 14. And there's many passages about this. We're only going to read a few just because of uh, of time here. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinion. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but another who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. Okay, so you know how people will say, oh, you know, that person's really spiritual. They won't eat pork. Well, pork may not be the best food for you, but there's nothing that makes you more spiritual for not eating pork. Some people are really spiritual and they don't eat any meat at all. Oh, you are really spiritual. And the Bible says, no, it's just the opposite. The person who does not partake is the weaker. The person who partakes is the stronger. Because they realize that the food particularly means nothing as far as the spirit goes. So you see in verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. You see what I mean? It is, in, in our mind, we think that the one who somehow boxes themselves in is the really spiritual one. But Paul says, no, the one who boxes himself in is actually the weaker one. Because the one who partakes freely is the one who realizes that this has no spiritual estimation in this at all. We are free to partake and free to eat. And then he says, he says you're not to judge one another. If a person doesn't want to eat meat, that's fine. Perfectly fine. That is fine for them. 
The legalism comes when they put it upon another. He says, who are you to judge another? Now in verse 5 it says, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. I once went to a service, this was about 25 years ago. And I went to a, a service, and it was on a Christmas morning. And the preacher stood up there and he said, how shameful it is that there's many people that sleep in on this day and are not here in a church service on Christmas morning. (laughs) And I thought, oh, it's really important. I'm supposed to be here on Christmas morning. There's nothing in the Scripture that says December 25th, thou shalt be in church. Nothing, absolutely nothing. It actually says one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Some people put real emphasis on, Chris, on, on Easter, Easter morning. Now, that's the morning you've got to go to church. In fact, if you're really spiritual, you will get up and you will be there in the service at sunrise. In fact, if you look in the scripture, it says that while it was still dark, they came to the grave and it was empty. If you had waited to sunrise, it's all over anyway. It's too late. Sunrise is too late. While it was still dark, Jesus had already taken up out of the grave. There is nothing that says you need to be in church on Easter morning. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And in fact, Easter has nothing to do with the the Passover anyway. This is some invention by the Gentiles later on. Passover, it was was the the Sunday after that Passover that it really happened. And that, that doesn't go by our calendar. So we're wrong on the day anyway. But the day means nothing. You see what he says? Some people regard one day above another. Other people regard it all alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. It's the weaker one who says, Oh, this is a holy day. You lied on a Sunday. You know, as if, as if <clears throat> a lie on a Sunday is worse, worse, than a lie, worse than a lie on a Monday. <clears throat> a lie is a lie and it is wrong. There is no particular day. Some people say, Oh, never go to a Saturday night service in lieu of a Sunday service. No, you need to be in church on Sunday. There's nothing that says we need to be in church on Sunday. You can go to Saturday night service. The Bible does say, don't neglect the fellowship of the saints, which is the habit of some. But, but fellowship with one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near, you were to encourage one another in fellowship. But we've chosen a day to get together to do that. That is fine, and I'm all for it. And I almost never miss a Sunday. I mean, it's only if I'm traveling or something, in an airplane. But, I, but there's nothing special about a Sunday that makes this a holy day. It is not a holy day. Every day is holy. And so this is, so to summarize this portion, Romans 14, it says, The strong is he who, he who partakes, and the weaker is the one who refrains. Amoral practices, amoral practices, things that are neither particularly moral or immoral, amoral practices, things that we have no particular direction on, Versus those who practice immoral things versus those who refrain, we're not to look down on each other. It also talks about how we're, we have the right to be persuaded in our own mind on these amoral issues. We are persuaded in our own mind. When we put it upon another, then our judgment is being cast upon another, which shouldn't be. And whatever we choose, <clears throat> this is what it talks about in verse 6, <clears throat> whatever it is we choose, <clears throat> we're to be thankful to God. <clears throat> Okay, let's look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. 
All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you... Thank you. Appreciate that. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for conscience sake, I mean not your conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I have given thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jew or to Greek or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Okay, so if you look here, he, he's talking about meat that was sacrificed to idols. It was hard to find meat very often in the marketplace that wasn't pre-sacrificed to idols in, in Corinth. But he says, you're free to eat that. Then there's two other portions in Romans that talk about this. You're free to eat that. But if somebody should give it to you and say, this meat was sacrificed to idols, he says, then don't eat it. For, not for your conscience, but for his so that you don't make him think something about this, or for some weaker brother. So in other words, you can refrain from things in deference to another. This is what I do for my wife. In deference for another, I refrain from drinking any alcohol. And I haven't had a drink in, I don't know, 29 years or something. I will refrain from this because of, you know, for, for the sake of another. But there's nothing inherently in it. And, but you see in verse 29, I mean not your, your own conscience, but for the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? In other words, if somebody puts something on me and says, you better not drink this because drinking is wrong, this particularly says, addresses that. He says, my freedom, my license to partake should not be because of the conscience of another. It should be only because I feel that I don't want to do this. You see what I mean? Legalism is when I project what I want, what I feel is right, upon another. And, and uh, then he says in verse 32, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Isn't this interesting? There are three classes of people. Jews, Greeks meaning Gentile people, and the church of God. When a Gentile or a Jew comes into the church, they are in this third category, the church of God. In other words, we are viewed differently, we are viewed as part of the body of Christ. But he says, work however you can not to give offense. And this is what we're supposed to do. In Acts chapter 15, it says that there was a council that had met, and they wanted to know, should they make the Gentiles become Jews before they become Christians? Which to us sounds very odd, but it was strange for them to have Gentiles coming to the Lord, and they thought, you have to be a Jew first. So they wrote to them, look, we want you to abstain from fornication. fornication. Fornication is illicit sex. Sex outside of marriage. We want you to abstain from that or, or adultery. 
was also under fornication. We want you to abstain from that because it was the practice of people at the time. But there is New Testament teaching against that. We want you to abstain from that. But they also said, abstain from food that has its blood. In other words, from food that is strangled or sacrificed to idols. Not because there's anything wrong with that, but it says, because you live among the Jews and Moses is preached in every city among you, so as not to be an offense to them, you should refrain from these things, these food sacrificed to idols. Because we're told specifically in the epistles that food sacrificed to idols means nothing to us as a believer. You can eat. The meat is the meat. We are free to eat. So the summary of this is nothing is sinful in itself. It's how it's used. Some people will say, well, it's a sin to smoke. No, it's just stupid to smoke. It's not a particular sin. People will, will then pull the verse, Romans 12.1, Offer your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That has absolutely nothing to do <clears throat> with eating healthy or not smoking. But if you want to use it on that basis, then we shouldn't do anything that might be a little bit bad for our bodies. No more cake. No cake. Yeah, no cake. I mean, a guy was sitting there telling me how wrong it was to drink only because it's bad for your body. And he was sitting there eating cake. And I said, what about that cake? And that cake is good for you? In fact, if you want to do everything that's the best for your physical body to offer it as a sacrifice, the only thing that we know for sure that lengthens your life based on eating is to eat a calorie-restricted diet. And I mean a lot of restriction on calorie. Something like half of what you normally consume. A calorie-restricted diet, this has been many tests on lab animals have shown, a calorie-restricted diet will increase lifespan 15 to 20 percent. So it can be a lot. But it's got to be a miserable life. (laughs) So that verse in Romans has nothing to do with this. But if you want to pull that verse, then absolutely nothing that hurts your body. But there's no, it never anywhere says in the, in the Bible that smoking is wrong. But we know how bad it is for our bodies and how short it's going to make our life and then we're going to be hacking, we smell. It's, it's kind of a miserable habit. But it's not something that God looks at us as if we're sinning. I mean, there's plenty of sin that, to keep us occupied without smoking. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, yeah, there is nothing inherently wrong with eating blood. That is in the law of Moses. And what it says in Acts chapter 15, it says, don't eat the food with its blood, but that is, it says, because Moses is preached in your neighborhoods all around you, it's going to be offense to all the people around you. You Gentiles are coming in. The vast majority of the church were Jews coming into faith. And it was so disgusting to them. He says, don't do it. <clears throat> but now it doesn't influence us. And there is nothing chemically wrong, in particular, with with having blood with the meat. So that was something that was under the law. And that's nowhere written in the New Testament under that. Okay, now look in in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. So remember, you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You can can remember this by, by thinking General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16. 
Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of that which is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions as he is seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God." If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are a matter which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Whoa, this really sums it up. He says here in verse 16, Don't let anyone act as your judge regarding food. I meet believers all the time say, eating pork is wrong, that's not God's diet. I say, where does it say that? Boom, they go to the Old Testament. You know what else it says in the Old Testament? It says you shouldn't sit in the chair where a woman has sat who was in her menstrual cycle. That's what it says. So you're going to go around asking? What are you going to do? You can't, you can't sit on an airplane now. What are you going to do? What else? I mean, you can't pick and choose the law. The Bible clearly says he who has obeyed one of those laws, has diso- he who has disobeyed one has disobeyed them all. We are not under those laws. He says, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath day. No one is to be your judge. So, you know, when they say, oh, you go to that church and they, they get up and they dance and they sing. I'm fine with that. If that's the way you want to express yourself in worship, it doesn't bother me at all. And if you want to go to the church where you don't say anything but read the liturgy, if that's what brings you closest to God, good. Let no one be your judge in that. You are free. I am here proclaiming today, you are free. You know, you go to a church where people, oh, they speak in tongues, you know what I mean? If that's where you feel the worship of God, you are free. Let no one be your judge in that. New moon or Sabbath day, there's nothing in particular about Easter, Christmas day, nothing, nothing. If that's what makes you, my wife loves Christmas, she loves the... The, the whole season of Christmas, all the smells of Christmas, all the greenery and the reds, and she loves it. It means nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. I grew up as a Jew. Christmas is just a pure headache. Expensive. It is trouble. It is, we buy these gifts for the kids and they don't like them. And they fight and, and it's just trouble. And, and uh, uh, it's a lot of work. I said, can't we just leave the Christmas tree up this year this way? We don't have to put it up again next year. Just leave it up. And all the decorations. I mean, all the work that goes into this. But she loves it. For her it's important. For me it's not. She's not to judge me. I'm not to judge her. I just have to set up the Christmas tree for you. He says, these are a mere shadow. Uh, uh, Don't let anyone defraud you of the prize in self-abasement. I mean, some people, you you know, they'll, they'll, they'll say, you have to fast at least twice a week. No, fasting, you should fast, but it's a personal thing. Let no one put their mood of a fast upon you. This is between you and God. In self-abasement, or taking a stand on visions which he has seen. You know, people go, I saw a vision. I think we all need to do this. I saw this vision. No, this is your vision. 
Do it. This is your vision. If that vision is not in the Bible, that's not my vision. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. We have this vision. Sometimes God gives us a vision to do something. Do it. And if you're a father in a family, you have some level of, of control over your family that I think God should move us in this direction. But you've got to be careful because when your kids hit 18, you've got to begin to release them because if you still keep your thumb on them and say, no, you're going to do this, you're going to go to this, they're going to explode. You've got to, as they're older, begin to give them freedom to walk in, in, in God's way, the way they see it. You see what I mean? We need that. And this is what he's saying. Just hold fast to the head who is Christ. In verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these different commandments that we put upon each other. Don't do that. You know, that good Christians don't do that. Well, where does it say that? It doesn't say that. Well, you know, good Christians just don't do that, you know. Where does it say that? And then they get angry because they can't find it. It's not there. If it's there, in the epistles, you say, well, in the book of Acts. Remember, the book of Acts is not an epistle. It is a historical book of a transition period between Jews coming into the church. The epistles are where our instruction is. And then he says, uh, uh, because if you look in the book of Acts and you say that that is your manual, then you're going to have real trouble. Because in some cases, people started speaking in tongues when they got saved. In other cases, they didn't. In some cases, the Holy Spirit fell before. In some cases, it fell after. I mean, you have real trouble sorting through all of this. But the epistles make it all clear for us. In verse 23, These matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion. This is what it is. All our, all, all, all our covenants and this, and this thing and that thing, all our bylaws, this is self-made religion. Self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So when people say, oh, you know, in, in such and such a religion, you know, people don't drink and they don't smoke and uh, uh, they do this and they do this and they do this. You say, oh, yeah, well, you still have lust problems just like I do. You do all that to your body, you still have lust problems. And in fact, you probably have more because you chain yourself in and it causes you to writhe. Your mind is probably going through even more than my mind goes through. So what he's... He, to summarize this up, the practice of liberty is superior way of life, he's teaching us in this portion. Living under rules is not condemned, but it is not the biblical ideal. One practicing liberty is never to be, allow himself to submit to the judgment in amoral things. Living by unbiblical rules is a sin of immaturity. That if I am putting this upon another then that's where, where the problem is. I can keep it upon myself, but it, it, it is... I'm sorry, I said it's a sin of immaturity. I meant a sign. It is a sign of immaturity. It is not a sign of maturity. To live under an unbiblical rule set is not to be... is it, it, living like the world, and it's not living like Christ wanted us to live. And living by immoral, amoral rules appears wise in self-abasement, but in reality, it does nothing to overcome lust. Saul made a command that caused real trouble for Israel, caused them to violate the law of Moses. If we live under rule sets that are constructed by humankind, they cause people to want to burst and get free of Christianity. They have nothing to do with what Christ has called us to. We are to follow the Scriptures and its calling. Let's pray.
Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the freedom that we have in Christ. We are free. And Father, I thank You that we are free to partake or not partake according to our own choice. Thank You, Lord, for the freedom that we have in Christ, that You have not burdened us with so many different things, and You cause us to be free of the judgments of men, of the judgments of mankind. Father, I pray that You take these young people and You begin to let, let them be free and to make judgments for their own self, for the, the, how they would live their lives according to Your Word. Father, thank You for the truths in Your Word. May we live by them. Lord, thank You for the commandments of Christ, living by Your commandments. Father, thank You for the freedom we have in that. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercies. Bless these young people, I pray, in the name of Jesus.